Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you for listening to Depictions Media Radio. Now let me introduce the participants in the room. Dr. Tedros Adonam Gebreyesus, WHO Director General. Dr. Maria van Kerkhove, Technical Lead on COVID-19. Dr. Bruce Aylward, Special Advisor to the Director General and the Lead on ACT Accelerator and Dr. Kate O'Brien, Director for Immunization, Vaccines, and Biologicals. We're also joined remotely by Dr. Mike Ryan, Executive Director for the Health Emergencies Program, and by Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, the Chief Scientist. Let me hand over to the Director General for the opening remarks. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. In January and February, the world saw six consecutive weeks of declining cases. We have now seen seven consecutive weeks of increasing cases and four weeks of increasing deaths. Last week was the fourth highest number of cases in a single week so far. Several countries in Asia and the Middle East have seen large increases in cases. This is despite the fact that more than 780 million doses of vaccine have now been administered globally. Make no mistake, vaccines are a vital and powerful tool, but they are not the only tool. We say this day after day, week after week, and we will keep saying it. Physical distancing works. Masks work, hand hygiene works, ventilation works, surveillance, testing, contact tracing, isolation, supportive quarantine, and compassionate care. They all work to stop infections and save lives. But confusion, complacency, and inconsistency in public health measures and their application are driving transmission and costing lives. It takes a consistent, coordinated, and comprehensive approach. So many countries around the world have shown that this virus can be stopped and contained with proven public health measures and strong systems that respond rapidly and consistently as a result, many of those countries have gained control over COVID-19 and their people are now able to enjoy sporting events, concerts, restaurants, and seeing their family and friends safely. WHO does not want endless lockdowns. The countries that have done best have taken a tailored, measured, agile, and evidence-based combination of measures. We too want to see societies and economies reopening and travel and trade resuming. But right now, intensive care units in many countries are overflowing and people are dying. And it is totally avoidable. In some countries, despite continuing transmission, Restaurants and nightclubs are full, markets are open, and crowded with few people taking precautions. Some people appear to be taking the approach that if they are relatively young, it doesn't matter if they get COVID-19. This disease is not flu. Young 
healthy people have died. And we still don't fully understand the long-term consequences of infection for those who survive. Many people who have suffered even mild disease report long-term symptoms including fatigue, weakness, brain fog, dizziness, tremors, insomnia, depression, anxiety, joint pain, chest tightness, and more, which are symptoms of long COVID. This pandemic is a long way from over, but we have many reasons for optimism. The decline in cases and deaths during the first two months of the year shows that this virus and its variants can be stopped. With a concerted effort to apply public health measures alongside equitable vaccination, we could bring this pandemic under control in a matter of months. Whether we do or not comes down to the decision and the actions that governments and individuals make every day. The choice is ours. Christian, back to you. Thank you very much, Dr. Tedros. Let me now open the floor to questions from the media. To get into the queue to ask questions, you need to raise your hand using the raise your hand icon. And please then do not forget to unmute yourself. We have a long list already, so let's see how far we get. We'll start with um, Agnes Pedrero from AFP. Agnes, please unmute yourself. Yes, hi, good evening, everybody. Do you hear me? Please go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, Dr. Tedros um, has participated in a summit uh, on a manufacturing vaccine in Africa today. And uh, while there is uh, another uh, high-level meeting with uh, WHO and WTO and uh, manufacturers of vaccines this week, uh, we wanted to know if there is any progress on that front and uh, if you can share some details with us about that. And, we should, and if we should expect a, a boost, uh, an increase in production in the near future of the vaccines that have been already authorized. Thank you. Thank you very much, Agnes. Um, let me start with Dr. Aylward, please. Uh, thank you very much, Agnes. Yes, the meeting today was uh, uh, particularly important, and it was a summit called by a number of heads of state of uh, uh, Africa and the African Union to discuss steps that could be taken concretely and rapidly to establish production capacity on the continent, and then to use that, obviously, to expand in the near term and longer term uh, the, uh, the production capacity for uh, Africa in particular, but even to serve beyond that potentially. Um, and the, uh, the, I participated in part of that meeting, and uh, I think what we saw was uh, extraordinary seriousness uh, and commitments uh, from the very heads of state, as well as the expert agencies in Africa, such as the African CDC to move very, very quickly on this agenda. Now, as everyone knows, it takes time to build those capacities, to get the regulatory capacities in place. But when you have that kind of political will to put the necessary uh, uh, resources behind it and support behind it, anticipate that this is going to move much more quickly than people will have anticipated. But um, with the uh, meeting is still going on and will be for some time, so I think we'll have to wait to see where the final uh, uh, decisions and next steps land. Thank you Question very much. maybe I could add? This is uh, Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, uh, our Chief Advisor. Please add. Thank you. So just to add to what Dr. Uh, Aylward said, uh, the WHO, along with the partners in COVAX, that's CEPI, Gavi, UNICEF, but also others uh, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and uh, the World Bank, um, have now been working on a proposal to really expand manufacturing capacity for vaccines um, and eventually other health products, drugs as well, 
in areas of the world where there is a little or no capacity just now because what we've seen in this pandemic is that uh, there is a massive imbalance in the global supply chains and especially in manufacturing capacity in some parts of the world and not in others the african union as we just heard uh, is very keen to to invest in building that uh, infrastructure and capacity this is um, uh, something that will take some time because you have to build not only physical infrastructure that's the easier part but it's the human uh, it's the the trained human resources that you need that uh, have the expertise because the vaccine development is a fairly complex endeavor and so there would be a process of having to train those staff and then very importantly there will need to be technology transfer from uh, institutes academics and companies that have technologies for vaccine development tried and tested technologies now as we know the mrna the viral vector vaccines uh, these are now tried and tested and can be very easily uh, also changed to accommodate a new pathogen either a new variant or a completely new pathogen so that's the goal is over the next few weeks and months that we will launch a program to try to do this in partnership with the african union but but also in other regions of the world where there is interest thank you thank you very much dr swaminathan we come to the next question and that's donato mancini from the financial times donato please unmute yourself hey can you hear me yes please go ahead thanks for taking my question do you have any more comment on the planned mix and matching of vaccines most recently in china but also france and germany i know you said there's not enough that to support the use but i'm wondering if you have any more sort of color on that and the other question that i had for you is what is the current status of the four Chinese made shots in terms of WTO appraisal. Are you looking at them? Will you be looking at them? Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Donato. And Dr. Elwood, please. Uh, thank you very much, Donato. I'll take the second part of the question and then I think uh, Kate will speak to the first part of it. So in terms of the Chinese products, as we've talked about last week, um, WHO has since the beginning, uh, since late last year, actually 2020, we've gone out with a call for expressions of interest for any company that is engaged in advanced stage trials and uh, production of COVID-19 vaccines to work with the WHO on the early and ongoing, what we call a rolling review of those products, similar to what the uh, European Medicines Agency was doing, so that we might as rapidly as possible be able to ensure that they meet WHO emergency use listing um, requirements and that they could be then uh, recommended by WHO for use. Um, at this point, two of the uh, uh, Chinese vaccines are in advanced stages uh, of assessment in that process, the Sinopharm and the Sinovac uh, products. As you know, we had uh, teams in China uh, for uh, for nearly a month through January and the beginning of uh, February to um, uh, assess the facilities, the, uh, the, the um, manufacturing practices, et cetera. With that part done, uh, there's a number of additional stages and steps which are happening now with the expectation that at least one of these products um, will be looked at by the technical advisory group that advises on, uh, on uh, the emergency use listing of products for WHO as early as uh, late this month, and then uh, a second product um, hopefully very soon after. And then with respect to the mix and match, perhaps uh, Kate would like to speak to that. Yeah, on this question of uh, what we refer to as mix and match, where uh, a second dose would be of a product different than the first dose, there are no data at this point um, on uh, any mix and match regimens, um, although certainly there probably are individuals around the world who have had a different product than the, uh, for their second dose than the product that they had as their first dose. We really welcome studies that would look at mix and match regimens because clearly from a supply perspective, and also from a programmatic perspective where many countries have more than one and some countries up to three, four, five products in the country would be very valuable to have these kinds of data to inform how best to use the vaccines. So we really encourage studies uh, to look at um, 
mixing and matching uh, vaccines, but that really does have to be done in a way that provides um, evidence that can be acted upon both by um, the regulators and by the policy um, advisors and policy makers. We are aware of um, a clinical trial in the UK looking at uh, a mix and match regimen with the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer product. Um, and again, we look forward to um, additional studies uh, looking at combinations of uh, different products in a single regimen and in, in, in an individual. Thank you. I'd like to add very quickly, Christian. Please go ahead. Um, to what's been said, and, and, and that is about actually the standardization of the assays. Uh, as you just heard, there's a study going on in the UK that's looking at a mix and match of AstraZeneca with one of the mRNA vaccines. I think they're using both Pfizer and Moderna. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, it's a, the end point there is going to be immunogenicity. So it's not a clinical efficacy uh, trial but it's basically going to look at comparable immunogenicity. And as you know, we still don't have a definite correlate of protection for, to use for vaccine um, trials or, or for that matter to, to test people to see if they have antibodies that will protect them from infection or from disease. So we really need to uh, uh, define that cutoff. And that can be done essentially if the different studies around the world uh, try to use the same standard, because otherwise you cannot compare. Uh, the results of the antibody assays, both neutralization antibody assays and binding antibody assays. So what WHO has done is, you know, we of course have this expert committee on biological standards that um, sets the standards for, uh, for many, many uh, tests and it does so every year. They work very rapidly to establish the standards both for neutralizing and binding antibody assays. And we've worked with the National Institute of Biological Standards in, in the UK, NIPS, uh, where now the WHO international standard is available for any group, a vaccine developer, a company, or an academic lab that's doing these assays to use. And we encourage everyone to use the WHO international standard and to report their uh, assay results in, w in international units that have been defined. That will then enable us to uh, compare uh, the different studies and ultimately hopefully define the correlate of protection, which would really help in the kind of studies that we're talking about, the mix and match studies, but also to test the new uh, vaccines which have been developed for variants, as well as other potential new vaccines that are coming down the pipeline. So I wanted to alert everyone to the fact that we do have the WHO international standards, and we encourage everyone to use those. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this was Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, Chief Scientist for WHO. We'll continue with Simon Ateba from Today News Africa. Simon, please unmute yourself. Yes, thank you for taking my question. This is Simon Ateba with Today News Africa in Washington, D.C. Uh, with doses of AstraZeneca vaccine drying up across the world, can you give us an update on the COVAX vaccine rollout across Africa? How many doses have been sent to Africa now? How will this vaccine freeze affect rollout in Africa? How will it affect those who have received only their first doses? Thank you. Thank you very much, Simon, and, uh, and to Dr. Bruce Elwood. 
Uh, hi, Simon. Thank you very much for the question. So as um, I think most people are aware, one of the priorities of the COVAX facility was been, has been to ensure that all countries can get access to vaccine in an equitable manner. Um, and at this point, uh, as uh, again, most of you be aware, uh, the COVAX facility has, as of today, um, distributed just over 38.7 uh, million doses, and we expect to get past 40 million doses uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, um, later this week. Um, 33 countries of the African Union have received doses so far from COVAX, another five or six. So we should go over 40 countries on the African continent have re will have received doses by the end of this week. And they will receive uh, nearly half of the doses from COVAX will have gone uh, to countries on the African continent. So as of today, Simon, that stands at almost exactly 17 million doses, and it will go to nearly uh, to about 18, nearly 19 million doses by the end of uh, by the end of this week. Um, in terms of the bigger question you raise about the overall vaccine supply, um, this continues to be a real challenge. As most of the journalists on the call are aware, um, the demands of the escalating uh, um, outbreak and, and pandemic in India have made tremendous demands on the supply out of India, the SII uh, producer in particular, which is one of the main producers that supplies the, uh, the uh, COVAX facility. Um, and uh, we do know that India is working hard to ensure that as it meets the needs of its own uh, uh, citizens, it can also ensure that SII doses can continue to flow through COVAX as well. So there is certainly the commitment uh, on that side to ensure that that happens. At the same time, we have uh, supplies from AstraZeneca directly through the COVAX facility, and over the last two weeks, we've uh, seen a uh, real scale-up in the speed and rollout of those uh, products. And now, um, if we were to look at the countries supplied from the AstraZeneca uh, side, that now is getting up in the uh, double digits uh, as, as well. So, Simon, one of the things we'll be looking at is how best then to distribute the doses that are coming out of SII, out of uh, uh, AZ, et cetera, to make sure that all countries, and especially and including the countries on the African continent, can be, uh, can be covered as well. But um, the reality is the whole vaccine supply situation remains precarious, um, and uh, the uh, challenge uh, still, because of such uh, convenient demands for these uh, doses, remains a very difficult one uh, to, to manage. Um, as uh, the good news is, as you, uh, as we spoke about previously, that the um, uh, interval between the AstraZeneca doses can be extended out to 12 weeks and probably, if necessary, a bit longer. So we do have a bit of time to the second question that you asked about ensuring people get their second doses. But uh, obviously, we would like to make sure that that interval doesn't go longer than that. So we're doing everything possible to uh, ensure the supply of doses through of AstraZeneca product in particular, because that's what's gone out already through COVAX, but that that continues. Thank you, and Dr. Kate uh, O'Brien, please. So let me just add a couple of things to uh, what, what Bruce um, uh, shared in terms of the doses going uh, to different parts of the world. And, and this, uh, we've provided guidance to countries about using the supply that has been provided um, to immunize as many people as possible with the expectation that um, additional supply will be coming. Uh, in order to provide the second dose. But it, it really provides an emphasis um, that I, I think many people um, in these press conferences, Maria especially, have just emphasized over and over that as vaccines are being deployed, this is exactly the time where we need to double down on the non-pharmaceutical interventions, on masking and reducing transmission because we give the vaccines their best chance of providing that protection and, um, and providing protection across the whole of the community, when in addition to scaling up immunity through vaccination, um, we reduce transmission, which also reduces the likelihood of having emergence of variants that could escape from vaccine-induced immunity. So this is just, a, a, again, a reinforcement um, that we have so much hope and, and desire to, um, to get on with more regular life as, as people become vaccinated. But it's actually 
the, the opposite. It's the very time when we should be um, as diligent as ever and assure that we're not um, releasing um, and too early those non-pharmaceutical interventions, hand-washing, masking, um, not gathering in lar large crowds. So I just really want to emphasize that again, and in particular around this issue of um, supply of second doses um, and the interval between giving a first dose uh, and, and then getting that second dose. Thank you. And Dr. Maria van Kerkhove, please. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. I wanted to come in on that as well. I mean, I think we really need to emphasize, and we need your help. Um, those of you who are writing articles following our press conference today, we need headlines around these public health and social measures. We need headlines around the tools that we have right now that can prevent infections and save lives. We are in a critical point of the pandemic right now. The trajectory of this pandemic is growing. Um, in the seventh week in a row, we've had more than 4.4 million new cases reported in the last week. If you compare that to a year ago, we had about 500,000 cases being reported per week. Last week, we had 4.4 million cases. If you look on our website and you actually look at the epi curve and the trajectory of the pandemic right now, it is growing exponentially. This is not the situation we want to be in 16 months into a pandemic where we have proven control measures. It is time right now where everyone has to take stock and have a reality check about what we need to be doing. The Director General's speech today outlined what we need to be doing. You hear us every day say what we need to be doing. Vaccines and vaccinations are coming online, but they're not here yet in every part of the world where they need to be. There are a lot of concrete steps that are being made to increase vaccine capacities, vaccine production, and rolling vaccines out. But right now, there are tools that we have. We have to be using them right now. Take a look at your social media feed. Take a look at what people are doing and how you are mixing. Make sure that you are doing the right steps that you can to keep yourself safe, keep your loved ones safe. We need governments to support individuals so that the control measures are, that are in place are applied consistently, are applied in a coherent manner across state lines, province lines, canton lines, whatever that sub-national level is, because it's confusing. The messages and the, in the application of these interventions is not being applied consistently. About a year ago, we outlined guidance about adjusting public health and social measures. And the six things that we mentioned um, to have in place was about having a system in place to know where your virus is. Do you have good surveillance in place to know where the virus is circulating? Do you have health system capacities in place to detect cases quickly, to carry out contact tracing, to provide supported quarantine, to get individuals into a clinical care pathway so that they can receive the care that they need? Do you have the outbreak risk minimized in specific settings, like long-term living facilities or settings where we know that the virus transmission can be amplified, indoor settings, for example? Do we have preventative measures in place in workplaces, in schools? All of the measures that are outlined for physical distancing, disinfection, good ventilation, good communication for staff, for people who are visiting these essential locations. Have you managed the, the risk of importation um, as travel is opening up? And do we have communities fully engaged? All of those six measures that are outlined still need to be applied as we look at adjusting our measures. If you look at the trajectory within your borders, reassess the situation and see what can be done. We all need to be playing our part at an individual level, but we need governments to support us in being able to do so. There was a 9% increase in transmission last week, seventh consecutive week where we've seen an increase in transmission and a 5% increase in deaths. This is not the direction we need to be going, and we really need to be serious about this. It is vaccines, but it's not vaccines only. It's vaccines and. What can you be doing every day? What can we be doing to keep yourself safe and your loved ones safe? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thank you all so much for these clarifications. And now we move to Priti Patnaik from, I guess, the new humanitarian. Priti, please unmute yourself. Priti Patnaik, do you hear us? Please unmute yourself. Can you hear me? Now it's good, yes. Please go ahead. Yeah, um, this is Preeti from Geneva Health Files. Um, last week, it was mentioned that a vaccine manufacturing task force was set up under COVAX. Um, can you tell us a little more about this and if this task force will only look at bilateral technology transfer to boost production of vaccines? And if yes, Will this undermine the COVID-19 technology access pool that um, seeks to encourage non-exclusive licensing agreements? Thank you. Thank you, Ed Pretty, and I'm virtually looking at Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, please. Thank you for that question, uh, Preeti. Uh, it's really important, and I think it, uh, just to build on what was discussed a little bit earlier, response to another question. So, the, so we will come up with more details on the vaccine manufacturing task force in the next few days. But what we're doing right now is working with the key partners, particularly with CEPI, also with Gavi and UNICEF, to outline what the key actions are going to be. Uh, the goal, of course, is to increase uh, vaccine supplies um, so that we can scale up uh, the vaccination programs globally and to do it as quickly as possible. And for that, we need some actions which are very immediate and short term, and that will result in immediate removal of uh, any obstacles. And that is things like looking at the raw materials and the ingredients and the, the tubings and the plastic, which is getting into short supply now because there are limited suppliers of these products and there's the demand is clearly the supply. Uh, there are also export restrictions that have been put in place by some countries on some of these products, which is uh, creating uh, a problem for some manufacturers. So, so the first step is really to identify what those critical needs are, where there is a global shortage, and try to address them, find either new manufacturers for those products, but also work with governments to make sure that there are no export restrictions on, on these products. And that's where the WTO and um, the trade rules would come in. Um, the second would be really to look at uh, expanding the manufacturing of currently available and approved vaccines. We've seen a number of manufacturers have gone out and done their own, uh, made their own arrangements. AstraZeneca, for example, has uh, partnered with over eight companies around the world, uh, but not all have done that. And so we want to try to encourage companies to do more of this type of uh, voluntary licensing of their technologies. And this is where the, the CTAP comes in. So there is a link very much with the COVID technology access pool who will work closely with the medicines patent pool that has all the, uh, they have the knowledge and the experience in, in doing these kind of uh, licensing agreements which are fair, which are transparent. And most importantly, they must assure that the additional doses will go through COVAX to the countries that need them. So there has to be an equitable distribution of the additional doses that are produced. So that's why working with an intermediary like the Medicines Patent Pool and CTAP is going to be very important. The third uh, stream of work in this uh, task force is really going to be expanding the basic manufacturing capacity of parts of the world, the African continent, for example, that currently have very, very limited capacity. And that will involve a number of different activities. It's going to require investment. It's going to require a 
a business plan for sustainability and it's going to need of course technology transfer a lot of training and so on so that will probably take 6 to 12 months to get into place but some of the other actions that we can take now could make a difference in the next 2 to 3 months so it's going to be a, an integrated approach with immediate short term medium term as well as long term goals and objectives but um, but all with the goal of increasing vaccine supplies for for covid but also for other diseases africa has a, a huge need for vaccines for diseases that are still quite common on the on the uh, continent yellow fever lassa fever and others ebola so there is a huge potential for manufacturing vaccines on the continent for other diseases uh, and and ultimately be you know self sufficient so that really is the goal and i think you'll be hearing more about it in the coming days thank you thank you very much dr swaminathan with this we move to ankit kumar from india today ankit please unmute yourself thank you uh, i wanted to ask about remdesivir where does the who stand on use of remdesivir is there any clinical trial to show that it's useful as far as covid is concerned because in india there is a huge queue of patients to get remdesivir who cannot get it could you please comment on this thank you oops parang thank you much ankit and please dr swaminathan Yes, I can start, and uh, I don't know if Janet Diaz is is on the call, but um, essentially the guideline development group of WHO did put out guidance. As you know, we have this uh, living guidelines now, where every time there is enough evidence on a particular drug, we update the the guideline. And this was done for Indesivir several months ago, based on the available. In, uh, evidence there were about five trials that were available at that time of which the solidarity trial uh, was the largest multi country trial in more than 30 countries which essentially showed that remdesivir uh, given to hospitalized patients did not reduce uh, mortality it did not reduce the duration of hospitalization and it did not affect the progression of disease from being uh, say off oxygen you know to patients progressing on to oxygen or the need for mechanical ventilation those were the end points that were that were looked at now there are smaller studies that have shown uh, in some subgroups of uh, patients perhaps some marginal benefit like patients who need low flow oxygen the nih trial showed that perhaps there was a mod marginal mortality benefit but it was in a very small subgroup of patients the solidarity trial as you know has been going on now for the last uh, Uh, almost one year and um, the final data on remdesivir is now being analyzed this is going to be looking at more than 4500 patients in remdesivir compared to the same number in placebo so this is really a huge number the data analysis is currently ongoing and we should be updating those results in the next uh, few weeks but uh, i refer you to the guidelines that were put out by who that clearly summarizes all the evidence on remdesivir and basically the recommendation was that there there wasn't enough uh, strong evidence of its benefit in in hospitalized patients but obviously we're looking at any emerging data that's coming out and and uh, which will be then used to update those guidelines thanks for staying thank you very much we don't have dr dias online but dr van kerkhof could add yeah only very very brief to add in about the guidelines that uh, sumia uh, recommended uh, mentioned uh, we do have living guidelines out published on remdesivir they were published in november uh, we currently have made a conditional recommendation against the use of remdesivir in hospitalized covid-19 patients regardless of their disease severity because of a lack of of evidence showing that it improves survival and other outcomes in these patients um but as sumia has said and as we have said for other therapeutics we are constantly looking at the clinical trials that are underway um and these are living guidelines so these will be updated as more data from those clinical trials becomes available thank you very much uh, for the next question line we come to gabriela sotomayor from progresso gamera please unmute yourself 
Hola, thank you. Thank you for taking my question, Christian. Uh, one question and one quick clarification. Uh, uh, the head of the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention said that their vaccines don't have very high rates of protection. So m my question is that many countries in Latin America are using the Chinese vaccines. So what is your assessment on, th on this situation? And a very quick clarification, if may I, uh, after my question last week, because I think your message has not been understood. Uh, doctors who are in the first line with COVID patients have the priority to be vaccinated, regardless if they whether uh, they work in the private sector or public sector. Because in Mexico, those who work in private hospitals with COVID patients have been relegated. They have not been taken into account. So just a quick clarification on that. Thank you so much. Dr. Cato Bryan, please. Thank you for the question. As you know, there are um, uh, quite a number of vaccines that are being used around the world now in different programs. Um, and all of those vaccines um, are under emergency use licensure with an evolving evidence base around, uh, around their um, efficacy, their performance. Um, and of course, those are from randomized controlled trials and then um, we're also looking at evidence uh, from the routine use of vaccines. Um, and uh, there is a, a range in the randomized controlled trials of the, the efficacy of the vaccines. But what's really important uh, to recognize is that um, the vaccines have all met the, uh, the benchmark of what WHO established as the minimum criteria for vaccines that would be effective for use to control the pandemic. Um, the second thing to recognize is that when you compare the results of one vaccine against another, um, in spite of some, some standardized case definitions, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the case definitions were used in a standardized way from one trial to the next. So it is quite difficult to compare the specific quantitative results um, from one product to the next. And thirdly, um, the results for just about every one of the vaccines have shown that there's much higher efficacy, the more severe end of the spectrum of disease uh, that, is, um, that is looked at. So each of the vaccines has had very high efficacy against uh, hospitalization, severe disease, and then as you go down into more mild disease, and frankly, as we go down just to asymptomatic infection, um, for most of the vaccines, the, the efficacy value um, goes down. Um, and so what, what I think is most critical here is that um, we are uh, in a phase of um, constraint of supply of vaccines around the world. Uh, we're learning about the best use of each of the vaccines um, as we go forward. Um, in particular, for I think you're referring um, uh, to some recent results that have come out in the past four or five uh, days and over the weekend on uh, the Sinovac product and some, some trial results both in routine use and from clinical trials. Um, and again, a range of values um, has been uh, has been, have been reported for that product going from more mild and moderate disease to more severe disease with, again, that gradient of, uh, of, of efficacy as you go to more and more severe disease. And in this phase where we're really focusing on reducing hospitalizations um, and deaths and ser serious disease, it really is the performance against the serious end of the spectrum of disease that is, is most critical. Um, so I think those are some of the, the sort of main points around um, caution about comparing across products. Um, the, the fact that um, we're really looking at products that meet those benchmarks for, uh, that WHO set for the performance of the vaccines that would be useful in public health programs and ongoing learning about um, how best to use the products that are at hand with prioritization of the products for healthcare workers and those at highest risk of serious disease, which is really the target for um, protecting healthcare systems and reducing uh, to the maximum degree possible um, serious disease and death.
Thank you very much for these clarifications. Um, we'll come to the last question as I see it um, for, a, for a guest we haven't had online here with us so far, and that's Konstantinos Davanis from Greek Public TV, ERT. Konstantinos, please unmute yourself. Thank you, Christian, uh, for the question. Um, Greece, like other European countries, has rightly started conducting self-diagnostic tests in schools and the society so that the coronavirus transmission chains can be broken in a very difficult situation with increasing number of cases. Um, my question, how useful are the self-tests uh, uh, in the strategies to reduce cases? And uh, one question that has arisen in many countries is the management of test waste that has been done so far in test centers. Are they guidelines from the WHO on the management of this waste? Are the tests dangerous if they are positive and someone comes in contact with them? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Konstantinos. And I'll ask Dr. Van Kerkhoff, please. Yeah, thank you. So Bruce was just uh, mentioning also we didn't answer the second part of the last question, which was about health workers. And just to emphasize that our recommendation for health workers are all health workers, regardless of where they are working. Our, the recommendation is for health workers to receive the vaccination and make sure that we reach all health workers in all countries uh, before we reach all of the populations in some countries. So thanks for just giving me the, a chance to, to clarify that. Uh, that was for Gabriella. Um, with regards to self-testing, um, I think uh, your, your point about waste is an important one, but let me highlight something uh, before that. I think what is really interesting in this pandemic is that we've had really interesting innovation as it relates to testing. And this is a very exciting time in terms of the advancement in our ability to detect virus, to detect the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so there's a lot of really exciting innovation that is out there on testing that's easier to use, uh, that can be done by an untrained individual, by, by you or I um, at home outside of a healthcare facility. But what we have to do is we have to make sure that these self-tests are accurate, that they're reliable, that they're quality assured, that they're easy to use, um, and that they perform well. And so there's a lot of tests that are on the market and not all of them perform well. Many of them are under evaluation in individual countries. We will be assessing those in, as well uh, into the future um, because testing needs to be strategic in countries. The use of tests as part of controlling COVID needs to be linked to public health action. Testing for testing's sake really isn't useful. What we need is to know who has the virus so that they can receive clinical care uh, an appropriate care so that they can be isolated and so that contact tracing can be carried out. And so this is really important that it's reliable. Um, given that we have some self-tests that are coming on the market, they need to, we need to make sure that they're assessed. But this is really important. Um, in terms of uh, waste, the viral load that's used in these tests that are uh, as part of the tests are considered to be quite low. Um, it's important to follow the manufacturer's recommendations in terms of disposal of this. Um, as a precaution, we recommend putting it in a sealed bag before you dispose of it. Um, but it is possible that a combination of testing can be used. I think you heard the Director General talk a lot about testing, how important that is. But I do want to emphasize that testing needs to be strategic, and we need to use all of the tools at hand. But these tools need to be reliable, they need to be accurate, and they need to be linked to public health action. Thank you very much for these clarifications, also the add-on for the question before. With this, we're coming to the end of our question and answer session. Thank you all for your participation online and in the room. We will be sending the audio files and Dr. Tedros' remarks right after the press conference. The full transcript will be posted on the WHO website tomorrow morning. For any follow-up questions, please contact media inquiries at who.int. Over to Dr. Tedros for closing yeah, remarks. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Christian. Um, uh, in closing, I'd like to say a few things. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown that global manufacturing capacity is not sufficient to deliver vaccines and other essential health products quickly and equitably to where they're needed most. Earlier today, 
I joined several leaders from Africa for a discussion about how to increase local vaccine production. I was, it was very encouraging to hear uh, from uh, the presidents of Rwanda and South Africa and also Senegal speak about the concrete steps they have so far taken to start local production. As you know, early in the pandemic, African countries came together to agree on a coordinated continental approach to the pandemic. And now they're coming together for a coordinated approach to scaling up manufacturing. Investing in sustainable and secure domestic manufacturing capacity and national regulatory authorities is critical for providing essential immunization programs and for building strong, resilient health systems against the inevitable health emergencies of the future. To address this challenge, WHO and our partners have established a COVAX manufacturing task force, as has been explained by Somia, to increase supply in the short term, but also to build a platform for sustainable vaccine manufacturing to support regional health security in the long term. What should be done today should be done today. WHO is also ready to provide immediate technical support to assist countries in assessing the feasibility of local production and in accessing technology and know-how. I also want to express my solidarity with the people on the Caribbean island of St. Vincent who have been evacuating their homes due to volcanic activity over the weekend. According to experts, there are likely to be further eruptions and WHO stands ready to support the government and people of St. Vincent in any way we can. And finally, I would like to wish all Muslims Ramadan Mubarak, Ramadan Karim. Thank you. This show has been produced by Depictions Media. Please contact us at Depictions media for more information with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.